what really gets my dick hard is You got the new one? Right on. This is a happy little one. I'm sure you fucking all dig. Sad, but true. Welcome to Middle Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Look. And I'm Clint Wells. And this week on episode 22, we finally have a sponsor, everybody. It finally happened after all the begging and pleading. Uh, this week on episode 22, our sponsor is Tone Tubby Speakers. And if you're a guitar player, you like high-quality speakers, these guys are the original hemp-based cone. Please check them out, get more info, hear some samples, all that good stuff at ToneTubby.com. And we can't thank them enough for uh, being our very first sponsor and uh, building some kind of relationship here. Yeah, and we're doing these, like, it's been fun. We've been kind of, like, figuring out how to do it. But we're doing these, like, riff of the week, like, Ethan and I posting videos of us playing. This week, we, we each took a stab at the Unforgiven solo. Um, you you went ahead and did like the the clean part too. I, I was kind of keeping it within like the minute uh, guidelines of Instagram and just did the the more you know distorted part. Well, I was gonna do uh, I was gonna do the nothing else matters solo, but then I thought it'd just be kind of fun to like get both of our takes on it. I will say yeah, sure. it's not a competition, but you're uh, if I had to pick a winner, I would have picked yours because yes, I yours, win, I win. Yours was like really, <laughs> really clean and like all the, like some of the faster stuff, I just sort of did, did my own like variation of it. Dude, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I, I, I had a day off and like I was just in my room playing guitar. Uh, I think I was in Austin and uh, I, I haven't learned that solo in so long. I, I actually had to go back and really listen to it and there was one little thing I felt like a total shithead. But I went and like looked at the tab real quick. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's what he did. You shithead. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. <laughs> but so if that's interesting to you guys, it's pretty fun. And what we're going to do when we get these Tone Tubby speakers is all of those videos are going to be featuring those cabs. So we're, yeah. we're really stoked to be partnering with those dudes to be kind of part of their team. So that's the end of that thing, right? Yeah, we're going to jump right into uh, our 10 emails for this, this week. Yep. And I think you're going to start them. I think I'm going to. I think you might. <laughs> I think I'm about to do it right now. Oh my God, go. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> what if it was just an hour of that? I know. No, you ready? You yeah, first. I'm going to do it. Go, really? No, no go. You, you go first. You, you go first. <laughs> um, all right. The first one comes from Christopher Yurgis. 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 Uh, gents. Gent, uh, gents. Um, I'm listening to your revisited number three right now about injustice for all. And when you mentioned the analog versus digital in the episode, it made me recall the parts of death magnetic were, that were recorded at sound city, which I believe was all analog until the last day. It's interesting. Uh, uh, I think he missed a word here. It, it's an interesting point there too. Is there a lot of video of like, sorry, sorry, uh, Christopher, you, uh, your, your grammatic, uh, errors here are confusing me. Uh, interesting point there. There's a lot of video of Lars nitpicking over every single bar and going back to the documentary. And, and and the question begs to be asked, are they losing some of the human element and some of those small imperfections versus perfecting every note of music? Love the podcast. Helps get me through my Mondays. Keep it up. Well, first of all, we're glad we can get you through the Mondays because the Mondays can suck if you're a, you know, you're a blue-collar worker. But yeah, I don't know, man. Um, he's kind of been doing that for, you know, even before Pro Tools. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the, 
if you're going to argue about human element, there's like a human element missing from, uh, I, I would argue justice as well. Just because yeah. it's so like, it's so clean. Um, for sure. I do think Metallica is an interesting example because you're right. Lars has been doing that even when they were all straight on tape, but mm-hmm. the argument just in general and like culture, the culture of recorded music, do, are we losing by making everything perfect? Are we losing something? I would argue for sure. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Most of my favorite records were made uh, kind of in a live room without a click track, without a lot of overdubs. I mean, the Beatles did, um, I think almost, I think they did everything except Abbey Road on a four track. Which is crazy. Which for those of you who don't know, even when you have a four track, you really only have three because the fourth track is used to bounce. So yeah, to think of them doing Sgt. Pepper's on a four track is like amazing to me. So Oh yeah. It is an interesting question though. It would be fun to somehow figure out a, an episode around their recording techniques. Metallica's like recording yeah. history of their recording techniques. We'll have to brainstorm about that. Yeah, I agree. That would be, that would be a fun one. Thanks, yeah, Christopher. Yeah. Thank you, sir. So this next email is our is Patrick from Sweden. Now, what happened on our when we're reading our top tens is we read his list backwards, and he was one of the two who we thought had Saint Anger first. He writes, "Hey guys, I'm Patrick nine two nine. What the fuck? Now everyone will think I'm some crazy dude, <laughs> <laughs> which we did. We did, yeah. He said you read my list backwards. You got to mention this in the new episode and correct it. I don't want to be known as some Saint Anger crazy guy." <laughs> And then a bunch of frowny faces. (laughs) Uh, Still love your podcast, though. Thanks for answering and always being so cool. Looking forward to the next episode. Always so exciting. Seeing what you guys are going to talk about. Take care. Now, here is his corrected list. Uh, Number one, Load. Hello. Number two, Justice. Three, Puppets. Four, Black Album. Five, Hardwired. Six, Lightning. Seven, Reload. Eight, Death Magnetic. Nine, Kill Em All. Ten, in its place of dishonor, Saint Anger. <laughs> Can you imagine how he felt when he, he was listening to that episode? Oh my God, I bet. And, and, and we said it number one. He was probably driving or something going, no, no, no. Oh my God. I'm so sorry, Patrick. Thanks for writing in and correcting it. <laughs> yeah. This is what I, this is definitely a redemption moment for you. And I'm very glad to have gotten it straightened out. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, our next one comes from uh, Nuno Custodia. I really want to thank both you guys for creating and maintaining this podcast about my slash our favorite band. Your attitude is so down to earth and many times I feel like a fly on the wall during your conversations. You have a great and simple way of making the listener feel part of the show. You guys make me think, laugh, and have a good time all around. This by far uh, the most human, passionate, funny, down to earth, and sincere music podcast I've ever heard. Wow, that's very kind. Um, you respect the band, you respect the listeners, and you respect each other's opinions, something that uh, other podcasts lack. Thank you for being there every week. Very cool. Luis Lima. Thanks, man. That's probably the that's nicest awesome. email we've ever received. I accidentally just said the, the name of the next person as if he signed it. It's a different name. I don't know why I did that. Uh, you, you mean to thank Nuno. Uh, Nuno, yeah. It might be Nuno Bentoncourt from Extreme. It probably uh, is. Disguised as Nuno Custodia. Yeah, that's his. That's the name he uses when he checks into hotels. This is the name, that's the name he uses when he writes to metal up your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a I don't want to know it's me. Totally. <laughs> Louis Limo writes, hello, dudes. Should I do it in the day voice? Like, I've been getting slagged for it. Should I just do it? Uh, by all means. Hello, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> he says, the episodes are getting better since the beginning, and come on, I just fucking like and laugh my ass off when Tor- with Torben impressions and Kirk Hammett moments. Oh, I like thank he- you so much, Luis. I like that he called them moments, like our little Kirk moments. I know. You've, you've just tuned into Moments with the Dainty Orphan. 
<laughs> he goes on to say, hope you make an episode about James himself and his songwriting style and lyrics. Best wishes and rock on. We're definitely going to do an episode on on Papa Het for sure. Of course. There's yeah, no questions asked there. We might even do multiple ones. <laughs> well, I was going to say, we could we could probably do a whole episode just on James's lyrics, like evolution of his lyrics or the themes he likes to tackle and maybe yeah, even like man. a top 10 on like best lyric you know that would be a great top 10 thanks for writing in right. Lewis. that's cool yeah appreciate it man uh, our next one comes from alan F- uh, fidel from regina or i assume it's pronounced regina regina canada regina I always, unco- I always feel uncomfortable saying regina i know it says it looks like regina like the woman's name but there are cities around the country named regina all right it just sounds uncomfortable. Sorry. You just Anyways. really want to say vagina. That's okay. All right. He lives in Vagina, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> vagina, Thanks, Alan. Vagina, Canada, New Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey, of course. Yeah. I think that goes without saying now. Uh, hey, guys. I just want to send you, send you the show topic idea. I was thinking about the videos and the history of the videos might make a good show topic. Going from not doing videos... Uh, for the first three albums in the middle of the MTV era to releasing a video for every song on the latest album at the same time. P.S. Thanks for the great podcast. Love listening to it every Monday. Uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely have that on our list of uh, show topics is uh, the music videos, of course, starting with, you know, one. Yeah. Uh, well, there's rumor that they made, and I think it's strictly a rumor, that they made a video for uh, for Whom the Bell Tolls, but scrapped it. Wow. And that official, would, the official videos DVDs, I think, only goes up through 2004, so we would have a lot of catch-up to do, too. Um, yes, definitely. I think, I think on, in terms of, like, the videos, I know they were stubborn at first, but not only have they obviously evolved with the videos, but some, somewhere along, maybe when they were actually doing this uh, year and a half in the life, uh, they, they got real hip to being on sort of the forefront of using technology to expand their fan base and to to give their fans little special nuggets. Definitely, definitely. So it, it is cool. It is interesting. They went from not making any to making one for every song every time they make a record. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I loved all the ones off the new record. Me too. I dude. thought they were really cool. I mean, obviously, obviously the hardware video, all black and white with the strobe light, that was so exciting. But like even the ones that didn't even have them in it that were like just made by other directors and, and stuff right. were like so cool. Wasn't the spit out the bone video like that? Like a sort of a dystopian future. Yeah. Ro- and then the, and um, totally. Uh, yeah. There's some there's some really good. So- Murder One was awesome. The whole the, the song about Lemmy. Yep. It's all animated and stuff. That was great. Well, and then not to mention all the videos they put out of the making of these songs, too. It's just so much cool yeah. content. Oh, yeah. It's great. Kevin Van Dam writes, Clinton Ethan just got done listening to the latest podcast on people's album rankings. I thought it had the potential to be repetitive or boring, but I had a pretty visceral reaction to this particular episode. Man, I was worried it was going to be boring, too, but I think it turned out I think it turned out yeah. okay. I, I, I'm with you. He, goes, he writes, what in the actual fuck are people doing putting St. Anger at number one? <laughs> Furthermore, how can it be ranked at number nine on so many lists? The number ones I can rationalize by people trolling a bit, but putting St. Anger just ahead of an album like Kill Em All is baffling since St. Poo Poo is nigh unlistenable. St. <laughs> <laughs> Poo Poo. That's interesting that that one caught on. He says, a big thank you to the listeners who gave their reasons for putting St. Anger at any position other than the garbage. Those were genuinely interesting <laughs> and my favorite part of the episode. After listening to all those lists, I'm a bit curious what the average deviation between rankings for load and reload is. It seems like they were pretty drastic ranking differences, despite that they have the same sound. Looking forward to next week. Cheers. Yeah, I have that the was, same. That's very true, yeah. I had the same thing, too. Maybe, maybe um, 
Maybe I can ask my wife to see if she can give us some interesting stats about that. But needs to say, Kevin Van Dam sounds like a Metallica fan after my own heart for sure. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Thanks for writing in, Kevin. No, that's awesome. And I, I mean, I, I'm with him. I think there there was a lot of moments in, in that episode where load and reload were pretty separated. Um, it's just. I mean, I, I guess it's just got to come down to song choice. Like, you know, I think so. People just have to prefer the songs. But I've heard other people say like reload were just leftovers from load and i'm not sure that's the case you know uh, i mean it was all the same session i mean I, I think they went in intending to record that many songs i don't think it was like oh we have all these leftover songs let's just I, put another record I, I totally agree i think they i think they got bit by the old use your illusion bug and yeah and and from day one intended to make a double record right 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 all right, well, our next email comes from Peter Lynch. Hey, uh, Ethan and Clint, congratulations on becoming more massive. Oh, okay. we're so massive. Okay. We're so massive. <laughs> um, I'm, actually, I'm actually surprised it's taken this long for people to listen in. Well, it's only been about four and a half months, but we are, we're as surprised as you are. Um, uh, listening to the year, in the year in the Life episode, and you guys mentioned James using the two-monitor thing. Uh, this is him recording the Black Album in the studio doing vocals. Uh, it makes sense to the sound and the lyrics of the Black Album. Nearly all the songs sound like a crisp live version. I think the vocal intro, intro to Of Wolf and Man is really sharp and crisp. It would have actually inspired James to sing harder and growl. Um, yeah, I think I uh, I could agree with that. Um, I think it's uh, I think we talked about it in the episode. I think it's just a way for him to kind of get in that zone and feel like he's doing it live with a band in front of him, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I agree. And not feel so isolated with headphones on. Uh, then he goes on to say, uh, "When I see delete or deleted anywhere, now I do a Torben." <laughs> he does a Torben. Well, do the Torben. He does a Torben. He, uh, man, we gotten shit for it, but I really don't give a shit. I like doing Torben. <laughs> I think it's so fun. It's great. It's great. So thank you, Peter. Um, <laughs> he goes on to say, "You guys uh, are getting better and better, and I look forward to hearing." more uh, many more episodes cheers p.s if you make it to brisbane australia which i've been to i i'd be keen to catch up for a pizza or a beer tack that onto the beer list nice um yeah and uh lastly he says i'm wondering if anyone outside the united uh, the united states thinks that new jersey is the biggest state in the world because every town and city in new jersey no we're trying it's pretty small Pretty small, but there's a, there's a lot of compact cities in there. Yeah, it's 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 one of the smaller states, and yet every city that we've ever heard from anyone from is in there. So, S- someone's going to come to the US one day and and land land in, in Newark Airport. And go, where's <laughs> Vagina, New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> it's just right near Trenton. Just keep, just keep driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, don't, if, if if you hit Hoboken, you've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> if you hit Hoboken, you've just passed Poland. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our last email is now. This is very cool. We we uh, uh, a guy named Tom Kwai reached out to us, and he has a, a, a new Metallica podcast called Alpha Metallica. Yeah, brand new Alpha Metallica. Uh, he writes, "Congrats on the awesome podcast. I've just discovered you guys in the last week or so, and I've been tearing through the episodes. You're a great host with an awesome chemistry. I love the Kurt Cameron episode, especially. Thanks for all the great entertainment so far." And all the best to you guys in your continued success. Very sweet. Uh, that was kind of his intro to us. And then he went on to describe his podcast. So what Tom is doing is he's doing every Metallica song. He's doing, and they're short episodes. They're 20 to 30 minute episodes where yeah. he's just doing a whole episode alphabetically through their entire song list. Right. And he's released, a, he, he launched with three episodes and the first one is two by four. Yeah. The first three are two by four, Ain't My Bitch and All Nightmare Long and yeah, it's it, cool, man. It's really cool. Um, he's real passionate and real. He knows a lot about the band. He's he's in deep like we all are. And uh, yeah, 
the cool thing too is that he's going to have guests every week to talk about whatever song is next and Ethan yeah. and I are going to be on the episode. I'm going to do the Better Than You episode so I can just wave the Better Than You flag and uh, <laughs> Ethan's going to do the one right for that the Blackened episode. Yeah, I'm doing Blackend, yeah. And and we we had a a few, you know, emails back and forth with Tom. Uh, he seems like a really nice dude. He's doing a great job. Both me and Clint listened to the first three episodes. And if you guys want to get another dose of Metallica in podcast world, check out Alpha Metallica. And it's wherever uh, he's on, uh, wherever you find our crap, it's where his is. It's in the, if you have an iOS device, it's in that podcast app. And I think he, yep, totally. he's putting all his stuff on YouTube as well. So yeah, exactly. Thanks for reaching out, Tom. We're looking forward to hanging with you in the future for sure. Yeah, man. And best of luck, man. All, all of our listeners go check it out. Unless you become more uh, more successful than us, then we'll have to hunt you down all nightmare long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're gonna have to delete you. <laughs> don't make us don't make a sick Torben on you now, Tom. Yeah, Torben doesn't want to do that as much as we don't. <laughs> what if what if ne- the next episode of Alpha Metallica is just like him doing Torben and Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, that one dude that wrote to us that didn't like it will definitely not listen to that podcast. <laughs> All right, cool. So those are our emails. So before we get into our part two, we'll just quickly do all of our crap that we have to get out of the way. You can write to us at show at gmail.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us. We read the 10 of these a day, uh, an episode. Yep. And even if we don't read it on the show, we typically respond to each of them. And it's really fun hearing from all of you. We get a lot of really cool emails a week. Um, Definitely. We're on all the, all the social stuff, Twitter, Instagram, just look up our show. And... Uh, is that it? Oh, oh, the other thing. Uh, we're still doing our swag contest. So we have these battle jacket patches, which did you see a dude posted on our Instagram page? Uh, he already sewed it onto his battle jacket. Rad. I haven't looked at that yet. I'll check it out here in a minute. On, on the back of his jacket, it's just like the big back patch of uh, puppets and then our Metal Up Your Podcast patch. Oh, dude, that's awesome. So we have guitar nice. picks and we have patches. We're going to be having a lot of cool stuff in the future. But the deal is, if you go to iTunes and leave us a positive review... Uh, we will send you for free a patch and some picks and whatever kind of free fun stuff we have laying around. So if you could take the time to go do that, it helps It helps a lot. I know it seems like a small gesture. It only takes a few seconds, and uh, it helps raise the profile of our podcast. And before I throw up on myself, that's the end of the self-promotion <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you're, you're about to black album our podcast. We're going to sell out. Uh-oh, rot-row. <laughs> Was that the inner Sandman of our podcast? Was it? Yeah. <laughs> Giving away picks is us like entering the studio at one on one. So last week we did the first part of a year and a half in the life, which was like the basically the making of the black album, which was really yeah. fun. Uh, and now fun. we're going to do the part two, which is kind of the, the ensuing monster tour. Yeah, man. And, and, and it's, I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they hit, you know, basically every, every corner of the globe on the, on this tour. I mean, uh, but th- this this part two is so fun because you know it's you know probably a few months after you know they finished the record they're jumping right into the tour cycle and it's interesting to, to you know we'll go through a lot of the timeline of the, of the documentary but it's inter- interesting to see like how some of those dudes act on the road because I know that three of them got divorced during the <laughs> during the recording of the record and I don't even think Hetfield was, <clears throat> was married so they're probably jumping into this tour all single dudes just ready to party oh my god that's 
I bet I bet it was fun. That's all I can as, say. Yeah, as as we saw in, in, in certain scenes. So before we get straight into just sort of like running down what's in this film, there's a few things I learned after our last episode. We had some listeners write in from the forum. I mentioned that we didn't know who that Adam Dubin guy was, the guy who's directed this. And it turns out that after he did this documentary for Metallica, he went on to do a bunch of stuff with them. He did the fan can stuff, making of Garage Inc., making of S&M, and the making of Through the Never. So... Yeah, uh, Swerk definitely, from the forum. definitely are bad there. <laughs> well, here's the deal. When I went to Wikipedia, his name did not have a, there was no hyperlink to his name. So that was the end of my investigation. <laughs> there was nothing you'll to click a, on. You'll make, a, you'll make a great private eye one day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, the, the body's not here. Okay, case closed. <laughs> well, can I click on it on Wikipedia? No. All right, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing that MG... R-O-S-V-E-N-O, I don't even know, Mig Rosevenor? I'd say M. Grosvenor. Oh, Lord. Well, (laughs) they actually left us a really sweet iTunes review, but they they mentioned on the the forum that the DVD, I guess, came out in the late 90s, and the DVD came out with the Load Era logo, which bummed some folks out. It did bum some folks out. Yeah, the original one didn't have uh, even the classic logo; it just had Metallica in like a normal ass font. Um, but yeah, when the D- when they re released it on DVD, they it was in that era, so they decided to add that to it. It didn't really bum me out. It's whatever. I don't sit there and look at the packaging and go, "Oh fuck this shit," you know. Like, <laughs> you know, it is put what it under it is, put it under a steamroller. Yeah, I would I would not steamroll that thing. <laughs> um. And then the last little thing that a fan's hip this to is we talked about how in, when CDs were getting hip, uh, the, you would get them in these like big jewel cases with these big boxes. And we were talking about how yeah. weird that was. So apparently, uh, which TJ Mower from the forum told me about this, apparently they put them in those long cases so they would fit in the vinyl bins. Because if they hadn't have sort of had that transition all of these record stores would have had to completely get new shelving and all that shit. So, Oh, that's right. That is the reason. They're in those long Dang boxes it. so that people could browse through them just like vinyl. And he mentioned right, it, and right. I had totally forgotten about this, but they even used to put cassettes in those things. Yeah, totally. I do remember that, man. Yeah, yeah that's, it's, uh, that's, it's it's such a, that's a smart thing on record on the record store part. It's such a simple explanation, but it like blew my fucking mind. I was like, oh... <laughs> <gasps> you, you, you had a, you had a Keanu Reeves whoa whoa moment. dude <laughs> whoa. all right so uh, I guess we're just gonna kind of talk through the film which it's, what's fun about doing stuff like this is it's basically just me and Ethan just talking Metallica so yes uh, we're gonna just go through the film and this one was a bit longer than the first one so we'll kind of have to burn through some of it but um yeah definitely I will I, it's nice to see that it opens up with just more smelting more smelting is it Freddy Krueger style Smelt, smelting, schmelt, schmelting. Sure, whatever. They're doing shit with with metal and fire. And yeah, shit. it's basically the same intro as as part one. I'm telling you, you could take the intro to these films and make a whole horror film out of them. They're really creepy. Oh yeah, yeah. Freddy Krueger involved. Gets <laughs> well. It looks like they're in his like dungeon doing it. Like it totally does. Yeah, like he's if, probably on the on the other side, like making a new glove. You know, yeah, while they're, they're making like, Metallica logo. They're like, Freddie, can we borrow half of your dungeon for a day while we shoot this the intro to our film? Thanks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Thank you, Nightmare Demon guy. <laughs> uh, so then it cuts to like news blurbs of like people getting excited about the shows and like you know yeah. the, the one news anchor is even like there are jail sales available for 
<laughs> I guess they yeah, were they're like talking in- about like o- like opening up jail cells and having like all X amount of cops on hand and all that stuff, which I guess rightfully so. I mean, this is an era of metal where it was like, I mean, you know, they hadn't like, you know, hit mainstream success. They had with the record, I guess, but like not to what we know them now. People were still afraid, you know. Well, and I got to say, when they show this montage of fans before the show, they they seem pretty dumb. They seem pretty. They seem pretty violent and volatile. They're well, like smashing that, beer cans on their heads and totally. I will say this: like, when, when, I, I you know, both in Clint and I rewatch any of these in these you know films that we're doing an episode on. And last night, like, I we finished a show in Austin. I got my bunk and started watching it. And when they showed all those fans, my first thought was, I wonder if a lot of these ones, especially the dudes that were like, "Fuck a Metallica, baby," and like smashing cans in their heads, are those like the new fans that jumped on board with the Black Album, and they're basically just like jocks? Oh, you know, that's like a good question. I, I don't know because then they show like metalheads that are like, I mean, they're, I mean, some of the metalheads are just as like seem kind of silly back then and stuff. But you know what? If I was freaking eighteen years old, about to go see Metallica on the Black Album tour, I might be doing the same shit. I don't know. Well, I hope not, Ethan. <laughs> uh, hey, just wait till we go to Detroit, and then are we gonna just gonna turn into like lowest come? Are we just gonna start like wearing wife beaters and smashing beer cans on our heads? Maybe <laughs> I guess maybe we we might do that. I wouldn't put it past ourselves. Well, I I know that there are thoughtful, intelligent, articulate Metallica fans out there. They just did not put any on this DVD. <laughs> Yeah, I think they 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 in the editing room they were like, yeah, let's put that dude in there. Just put That'll... the put the biggest redneck on there. So who, who who can we put in there after they talk about going to jail? <laughs> yeah, how about the guy yelling "fuck Tipper Gore"? <laughs> yeah, fuck Tipper Gore. <laughs> that's that's like his one moment. They're like, all right, dude, we're making this film about Metallica. What do you got to say? You're at the show. He's like, uh, "fuck Tipper Gore." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. That's about the equivalent of like, uh, remember that old uh, video that went viral where they're, they're talking about some little fair in this small town and this kid's dressed as a zombie and they go, how do you feel, little Timmy or whatever his name was? And he goes, I like turtles. <laughs> it's about as irrelevant as that. Yeah, it's like, man, you really blew it. <laughs> really, yeah. Why'd really... you say fuck Tipper Gore, man? I mean, I know. Yeah, sure. I agree with you, but come on, man. You're on the news. Well, because I guess she, I guess at that time she was like, you know, she's responsible for the parental advisory stickers that ended up going on records. Yeah, for and sure. And that was kind of happening. It's just funny that he 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 went political. He took it political. I wonder uh, if when the documentary came out and he bought it, and all of a sudden he was like, "Oh, that wasn't a news anchor. Like it was for a Metallica <laughs> documentary. Shit, I should have said something else." Wait, they weren't they weren't going to present that at Supreme Court later. <laughs> <laughs> so then it, they start showing them loading into the arena and it's it's cool because it's the first time that they tried out the sort of in the round thing yeah and it's just yeah having a whole different stage set up like different ramps going different places and stuff like you know where, and, and even like different locations for the drums yeah and i don't think there was like a total in the round but it was basically they had like the rail so they basically had like three front rows you know and Which is very cool. Where they started doing the like mics everywhere, they could James could kind of go anywhere and do his thing. I saw a really interesting video of um, the Summer Sanitarium tour, which was the first time I saw Metallica in two thousand. Right, and it's interesting because they're interviewing James and he's pointing to the stage and he's like, you know, this stage was like one of the best investments we ever had, and it's that same stage that they bought for the Black Album tour. He's like, man, really? we've, we've had this for like. 10 years like we just use the same stage like they they use different parts of it or whatever but that's crazy because i mean i mean from experience i know that a lot of bands i mean you just you're just renting that from the production company yeah they you just know what bought I mean? it. like hey 
it's I mean, hey, it's it's money well spent, obviously. Well, in the seventies I know that Pink Floyd actually bought their stage and bought their PA. And then this when mm-hmm. they weren't touring, they rented it out like a business. Yeah, it's smart. It was considered at the time to be a pretty forward thinking business move. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a funny part where they're, they're, so they're talking about how they're in the round and they have fans closer to them and stuff. And, and Kirk is like, he goes on this very like unicorn type Kirk rant <laughs> about like, he's a guy, I was talking to this fan one time and he was telling me that like, they're, we're giving them energy and then they're taking the energy and then it's going back into like our heads and down through our guitars. And it's like just circle of energy. <laughs> Circle of energy, bro. And then he goes, I do have to say that the kid who told me that was on acid. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there's a part of Kirk that believed it. He's like, whoa, you're right. Yeah, I bet. I I can imagine Kirk sitting in his hotel room at five in the morning, like writing that poetry. In his in his red tidy whities or tidy tidy reddies, I guess. His tidy reddies. He's got a he's got a notepad at the top of it. It just says circle of energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he's holding his guitar trying to get it to work again. And so How about James and the two? I love seeing their like old school tuning room. I know, totally. Just like actual amps and drums. And, and Kirk, I, mean, they, they, I mean, they did that, you know, in recent years until they got hip to like, you know, uh, the curtain wall. I've noticed. Yeah, well, that and I've noticed that uh, this is very nerdy drum talk, but like um, there's this Remo, the drum head company, makes these heads called silent stroke heads. Zildjian makes these silent cymbals. They're like, it's, they're really cool. They feel like cymbals. They sound like a cymbal, but it's really quiet and you can put triggers on stuff. And I think that's what they're doing now in the tuning room and then just on, on their inner ears so that they can keep the volume down, I guess. But back then it was just like, here's your drum kit. And I'll have you know that I was just, I'm drinking box wine with ice and, um, I just got a big ass ice cube in my mouth, and instead of crunchy crunching it into the mic, I'd spit it back into the cup. <laughs> you still self conscious about I, that? I did that for you guys, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's for the fans, man. <laughs> it's funny seeing James on the drums though, because I know he's like kind of like a closet drum guy. He lo- he loves the drums. Yeah, I gotta say his his technique, uh, the way he's holding the sticks. He got, got t- get those pink tuck those pinkies in there, James. Yeah, it's not great. That's okay though. He's not a drummer. Yeah, but this was. Yeah, but it, this was, you know, this is almost 30 years ago. So <laughs> I think his technique's probably improved. Hopefully. Uh, what do you think Dude, about... The, the whole... Go ahead. It, I was going to say the whole... the whole uh, After that scene, there's the whole... The, them talking into the, into the camera to the crowd. Which and I they, love. I, I, I don't know if a lot of bands were doing that, but that, that had to have been really it, exciting. It's really cool. It gets the crowd pumped up. Oh, they're about to come on. The one thing, and maybe somebody can write in and, and, and tell us this, that maybe was on this oh, tour well, or went, they, to, went to they the will. tour. They will. They will. They will. <laughs> no, but I, I, I tried to research this. Like they, uh, J, When Jason's on the camera to, talking to the crowd, he's talking about like, you know, watch this short movie real quick. It's 20, 25 minutes and we'll be out there to kick your ass or whatever he says. And I was like, huh, what was the, I wonder what that intro video was. So I started just researching it and trying to find what it was, like trying to find footage from the concert. I couldn't find it. Well, I mean, what, I, I, what I thought he was saying. I didn't saying, search for too long. What I thought he was saying was, I thought he was introducing the opening band. Huh, maybe. Because like, I remember I saw Perfect Circle once and uh, this band called Failure was opening. And Failure, I guess. Failure's great, by the way. Uh, maybe it wasn't Failure then because let me, because. Because so, it sucked. <laughs> well, whatever it was, it was real bad. But okay. Ma- but Maynard came out before their set, and basically, like he anticipated the fans not liking it, and he kind of did a whole like, "Hey, this band's about to come up. Like, we're huge fans of this band. They're really great. You really need to pay attention to them. You know, like here they come. You know, and they came on. Okay, and I, and I was like really impressed by that, and I was like, man, like because I respect Maynard so much, 
Sure. But after the first song, I was like, well, this sucks. Like, I, I gave it a shot, and it sucks. I'm going to talk to my friend until you guys come on, you know? Yeah, that's when you go take a piss or get a beer. Um, if I was in the crowd, though, and saw them doing that, like Lars being a ham in the camera, I bet that was really... Because, yeah, because I think when Lars was doing it, they were, like, about to walk on stage. Yeah, yeah. I just know when Jason did it, he I, I swear he mentioned something about like he this did. 20 to 25 yeah. minute movie thing. And I, and maybe it was just some, in, I don't know, intro movie thing they made. I don't know. Somebody out there probably went to that tour that may be listening and could, could educate us on that. Because I couldn't find it. I researched it a little bit uh, before I fell asleep last night. Well, that's okay. We, we all at Metal Up Your Podcast forgive you. Well, I, I have to get some sleep sometimes. Dude, like in the, we're like... The, our house situation we don't have internet currently so I had to like go to fucking I went to a Starbucks to try to watch it then I had to go to the McDonald's McCafe to watch it <laughs> I love that you texted me that this morning I was like all around Nashville trying to find this thing how about how about Lars looking like a normal dude in the green room and then from his way to the green room to the stage he puts a robe on yeah I, I will say I mean I think it's super cocky but coming off stage they all have robes on I think it's a, honestly a thing just so they don't get sick. Because, you know, you're in arenas. A lot of them can be really cold. You're in your leather jacket, your white leather jacket, for instance, mm-hmm. Lars had on. And, you know, you're backstage, you're hanging out, everything's fine. Then all of a sudden, Lars gets down to just like pants and no shirt. And it's freezing. He doesn't want to get sick. Maybe that's what it is. Put on a robe, keep your body, keep your body temperature up. And, and up for him being a drummer playing a long-ass set, maybe it, you know, it keeps his joints and his muscles loose. I don't know. That's, that's, you know, that's the nice way of saying, I think it's fine. You just said, keep your butt up. (laughs) Keep your butt up. You accidentally said, butt. it's okay. Go check the tapes. Check the tapes. I said, keep your butt up. Well, accidentally. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go check the tapes. Yeah. You're going to check the tapes. Uh, here's the deal. He's not going to catch the goddamn flu from the green room to the (laughs) stage. It's weird. It's stupid. He's done it. He did it when I saw them in in Brisbane, Australia. I, I was right next to where they walked on and off and to the stage and from the stage he was in a robe with like the, the hood over his head too. They're like <laughs> with the hood over his head. They're like 15 oh, yeah. minutes late. They're like, "Why is it what's going on? Why is the band late?" They're like, "We can't find Lars's robe. We can't get him from the green room to the <laughs> stage because we don't have his robe." He's too pimp. What if he's a total germaphobe and he just has to be covered up or something? I don't know. Maybe. He sure He's does. definitely not a germaphobe in this documentary because he is touching like butts and stuff and <laughs> all sorts of things. And well, and he really likes spitting his drinks into other people's mouths. Yep. He uh, definitely does. I remember when I saw them, he was they were like pouring beer into people's mouths in the front row and then he was spitting his drink from his mouth into willing, very willing other people's mouths. And willing was, people, yeah. I remember thinking like, I don't like this band that much. <laughs> <laughs> totally. If you were that close and he started doing that, you'd be like, whoa, 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 dude, I, dude, dude, stop, stop, stop. I would Love have the show. I, yeah, I would have the devil horns out and I would have like, I'd be looking at him, but I'd close my mouth. <laughs> I don't I don't want that. Uh, I would just turn, I would just turn around and just avoid it all. Just turn around and moon him. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Pour a beer on my butt. This is like becoming the butt episode. <laughs> I know. This is, this is definitely the butt episode. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so then they show the Sabbath True video, which... Is a skippity skipper, man, because it's just the live footage. It looks like a fucking Bon Jovi video. It kind of looks 80s. It's like, you know, empty arena and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't dig it. I'm not into I it. Mean, I mean, I, I get that they, you know, they probably want it now, now that they're on the video train. They've, they've climbed aboard. All aboard, let's go. They're making a bunch of videos for this record. You know, I mean, there's essentially three videos that aren't actual, like, 
you know, written out directive. I mean, there's this and wherever I may roam are like basically live footage or from arenas. And then nothing else matters is from from the the studio. studio. Yeah. Right. So, but at that time, maybe they were like excited about making videos. So they're like, well, Hey, we got this camera crew out here on the road. Let's just make a video in the arena. Well, I mean, more content out there. Totally. I mean, well, MTV was so huge and MTV fucking loved Metallica. So if they could on the cheap make a, just like, if they could just have their documentary team, cobble together a video and then it became a huge hit on MTV everyone wins yeah. right now I, I I will say that you know as a, as a kid like when I saw that video I was pumped I thought it was great and I mean any content I could get as you know a kid in junior high getting that record and watching these videos I would take no I agree you yeah. know so but it was now smart thir- it was smart yeah. it, just, it just doesn't it didn't live well you know it didn't, live it didn't hold up yeah as as a 30 or 38 year old now I'm kind of like eh, I'll go ahead and fast forward to this yeah skip a um yeah, Do you, uh, how about so, the band showering? <laughs> awkward. Th- well, even before they shower, how they're just hanging out in their undies, just chatting about the show. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've never had it's that little, kind of pro- post-show ritual. It's a little awkward, unless unless it's like what they don't show is like in between that and the shower. There's just like a room full of ladies waiting for them or something. <laughs> well, I have read that that was the deal. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, well, James talks about it in the behind the music where he's like, you know, it wasn't so bad, like walking into, you know, getting washed in the shower by like five girls or whatever he says. Right. Um, which is what my, but, which is exactly what my life is like, by the way. Oh yeah, mine too. I mean, right now, I mean, all the girls are being really quiet, but I mean, I'm, I'm in my <laughs> holiday in room in Jackson, Mississippi, just surrounded by girls. Hey, keep it down, please. <laughs> all right. You can bathe. You can bathe I'm, my butt I'm, later. I'm podcasting with Clint. You know, he's, you know, he, he's not here. No. Oh, I hate to disappoint sorry, all sorry, those. Clint. I hate to sorry, disappoint man. all those fake ladies. Yeah. No, your underwear is on the coat hanger over there, <laughs> like in the documentary. <laughs> and it's again, that's just like this weird carryover from like the, the them having like Playboys like all over the studio. Yeah. Like, Lars I mean, has got the, the panties on a coat. It's just it's just so cliche rock shit. It's very cliche, but I mean, I I kind of have to like when I see that stuff in the documentary, I kind of have to put myself like, you know in their shoes like if i was in one of the biggest band, you know bands in the world selling out arenas and any girl you know you're single and like any girl would just come up to you and like sleep with you it's like what would i do i don't know like and you know well, you have no you have nobody to tell you you can't do that i would imagine you and i know for me sure i'd be a little bit more discreet a little just a little bit more discreet yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have a road case with a bunch of coat hangers with underwear on them. No. <laughs> with it, women's it, underwear. It comes off kind of rednecky. That's okay, though. Yeah, but that was that was the that was the era. But it is a little, I think, leftover from the 80s, I think. Yeah, but they always kind of, I always just felt like other than that, they were beyond that 80, stupid 80s shit. But then when they're acting, like, you know, like they make fun of like L.A. glam shit, but then they act like right. those, those fucking idiots. So <laughs> they kind of so do. So what's the fucking too. difference, you know? I mean, I would say mostly Lars, but yeah, that's true. Uh, there's the interesting scene where it looks like a tour manager is going to all their hotel rooms. I guess to just oh, make wake, sure, waking them up, just to make sure they're ready to go. And so, like every other room, he like has to knock, and they kind of sleepily come to the door. Of course, right. Lar- Lars's door is already open, and he's on the phone talking loud. And it's him talking to Bob Rock, apologizing to Bob Rock for not mentioning him when they won the Grammy. <laughs> yeah, kind of a little bit, of, you know, a little bit of a mistake there. He didn't like think, the one the the one guy you need to be thanking. He didn't, he didn't think, think freaking Bob Rock. They thank Jethro Tull. <laughs> they don't thank Bob Rock. That was pretty funny that they thank Jethro Tull for not putting out an album that year. <laughs> yeah, I think Lars is pretty funny. 
I think he is too. There, there, there's a lot of uh, scenes of him in this documentary. I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, just stop. You're on ten all the time. But I think he's pretty hilarious. No, Hetfield's he, fucking hilarious in this documentary. They're all, dude. I think Kirk's really funny too. Like, they're a pretty funny group of dudes. Kirk has a couple like re- record scratching moment jokes where I'm like, eh, that's not so good. <laughs> well, what's what's well, what's new? What's changed? He's <laughs> if anything, he's <laughs> yeah. consistent. Yeah, I, I admire the, him for that. I love when they're getting on their jet and the jet like already has they already have a jet with that coiled snake on it. Yeah, totally. So <laughs> fucking cool. It's really cool. But, I, but here's the thing: it's funny that like, they're already like a big band. They've already at this point, I think, sold a couple million records. They've got the private jet, but it's like a prop plane. It's not like a freaking Lear jet. No, it's not like yeah, like, it's not like Led Zeppelin stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's still if you could label that as like a humble way of being a rock star, it kind of is. Because they probably could have gotten something a little more badass than that. Well, any plane looks cooler with a big-ass coiled Black Album snake on it. Yeah, and it actually says Metallica like near the front or whatever. So but. that all the other planes in the sky can, can see that it's them. Yeah, but the plane's kind of small. I don't know if the other planes can even <laughs> see them. Like, what is that little... <laughs> yeah, like a 747's like, wait, what is that? Is that Metallica's plane? Is that a worm over there flying? Oh no, it's a it's a snake. <laughs> a worm. <laughs> I was just trying to think of something smaller. Is that know. a flying worm? <laughs> is that James Hetfield's middle finger in the window? What is that? <laughs> oh my god, a worm. Um, I do love in the documentary how it kind of. Uh, there's not really like a chronological order to it, like. You know, they, they, they definitely highlight certain cities, but, you know, it'll show, like, you know, has the whole scene with them on the jet and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, like, they're at Donington. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is fucking awesome, them playing For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah, it's great. Um, and I think, honestly, like, again, no, I've said this before, but no disrespect to Robert, man. He's a total badass bass player. I love how Jason plays this song. I do, too. I do, too, man. It, it really, I mean, it reminds me of more of Cliff than the way Robert plays it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and kind of has his own vibe to it, too. Well, Jason's got that great windmill headbang vibe, too. He does. No crab walking, though. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually why Jason <laughs> ended up leaving the band is because he didn't really, he didn't have a crab walk vibe. Yeah, the band was like, hey, I know we're doing this record called St. Anger. Here's the songs. We have a therapist coming in. And he, Jason was probably cool with that, but he couldn't do the crab walk, so he was out. Right. People, people mistakenly think that he left because of an altercation he had with James over Echo Brain, but... The truth is, they asked the tr- him to crab walk, and he not only was he unwilling to do it, he simply said, I don't know how to. Yeah, and I'm, I'm unwilling to learn. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. I'm not interested in learning how to do it. Yeah. Uh, the meet and greets are interesting, because they, they, it's like you can tell they haven't quite learned how to do it well. Like, they don't seem super comfortable. They seem kind of yeah. awkward, and they're funny, they're they're charming, but it is a little I awkward. I think of anybody, actually, Jason seemed the most comfortable. Yeah. He was the one they were kind of having to pull away from the meet, that meet and greet in that one scene where they're all you know, waiting to do like a photo together, and he's still talking to like a reporter. But like, yeah, they seem uncomfortable. I mean, like Lars kind of seems more, uh, he's uncomfortable, kind of distracted by like pretty girls and stuff like that. Well, this um, is later in the documentary, but do you know what James says when they're trying to pull him away? James goes, he thinks because he's in the mix now, we have to wait for him. Oh, that's right. And I'm like, is he, the, does he mean in the mix, like in the thick of things? Or does he mean that he thinks because you can hear his bass on the record now, we have to wait for Oh, him. like literally in the mix. Like, I was like, holy shit. 
you know that was a hey man, man you know like we said that's probably uh part of the hazing process they just give him shit all the time yeah well they do the pies to the face thing for his birthday yeah i don't know if that's so much hazing because i know even in recent years they've done that to kirk you know and um i don't think that's i wouldn't call that hazing yeah personally you know what i'll call up james tomorrow ask i him. think it's just good it's just good for good fun you know good form good fun good form and good fun good form fun <laughs> so then they do Inner Sandman at the VMAs, which is, that's pretty interesting to see. And James uh, talks about like the, I, how, how like the Inner Sandman definitely brought in new fans, like the impact of the oh, radio. Totally and, Dude, I'm, I remember watching that that VMA performance like, I do too. as it aired. I do too. And it was like, I was so excited. I thought it was so badass. And you have freaking like Arsenio Hall, like... <laughs> hosting in like his multicolored jacket like all bright colors and stuff and um yeah it was so to me as a metallica fan at a young age it was really exciting to see them on mtv that was so overrun by so many things in the 80s like glam rock and all that you know 80s pop and stuff like that you know and this is also too like around the you know the grunge explosion time too and metallica's still breaking through that yeah, the thing for me is I didn't really know much about them before the Black Album. So to me, MTV has always been synonymous with Metallica because from right. from Black Album on, they were MTV staples until 2000, you know? Totally. Which the 90s was kind of my teenage years. So um, speaking of teenage years, this is when they're like showing, I guess, teenagers at the show at some show. And this one weirdo looking teenager with these two massive cross earrings in one ear he's saying things like this is for the teenagers man and that's when the other guy goes yells fuck tipper gore yeah totally. <laughs> and then another dude goes dude every generation will scorn the next man and their music <laughs> <laughs> it's so deep bro another one goes uh be yourself and he goes yeah he's like yeah man this music just means like be yourself and lars this bud's for you <laughs> oh it's so good i it's love so it dumb. i mean dude i went to school with guys that look like those dudes and i probably would look like them if i was a little older and was going to metallica shows you know i mean if, oh, if those dudes were saying that to be funny then i can imagine hanging with those dudes but i think they're being real sincere yeah i think they are too every generation re- was every generation was scorned the next man and their music bro and their music. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like an archetype for a joke. It's like doesn't seem real right. to me. <laughs> I, I do love uh, uh, when they're going through them playing like MTV Awards and then uh, the Grammys that like James doesn't really like doing doing the TV shows. Like he you know he wants it to be louder and it's got to be weird just playing to a bunch of people sitting down watching you. Well, and it's also like an interesting foreshadowing of what happened at the Grammys this year. Yep, totally. You know, uh, do you remember? Um, and there's, there's, you can, you can look this up um, on the European Music Awards. Uh, I can't remember exactly the year. I think it was '99. It was in that load reload era. They were supposed to play King Nothing, and something happened where they were pissed off, and they ended up playing So What and Last Caress. Nice, Un- unannounced. Like the producers were probably freaking out backstage. That's the Metallica we know and love. Exactly. It is cool though that they won. I mean, Grammys, you know. Grammys both it's Grammys exist in this strange in between place where they they both um, are meaningful to win a Grammy is meaningful it says a lot about sure. your career being recognized by your peers in the industry on the other hand they also don't mean shit like all the bands that 
that haven't won Grammys aren't like automatically invalidated because they didn't win. Look at fucking right. Metallica losing to Jethro Tull is a perfect example. Right. So, but it is kind of cool that they won it. And James even says, he's like, you know, when we won for Inner Sandman, it felt right. Like, and, and it's cool how it doesn't come across, across as him sounding like a dickhead. Like, like I imagine if Lars had said it, it would have sounded a little creepier, but James is saying, might have been, yeah, but James is saying we worked really hard. We would spent forever in the studio. Like us winning that Grammy felt like the right thing. And I, yeah. it's hard to argue with that, you know? I agree. Yeah. I mean, they, they did spend a lot of time and energy and, I mean, like we said before, they've. I mean, they went through three divorces making that record. I mean, a lot of shit happened when they made that record. Well, here's, what so it, it, yeah, here's what it, I can it, guarantee you: they were all real glad to have gotten those divorces pre-black album money rather than post-black album money. Uh, yes, one hundred percent. That bottom line. <laughs> that bottom line changed big time. Oh yeah. Uh, what we got next is with the Jason's fucking sandwiches scene. Oh man, we've brought this up before, man. I I love this scene. There's Kirk giving him shit for making sandwiches. Yeah, to take back to the hotel. And Jason's like, "Yeah, you can call me a cheapskate. I'm proud of it. I'll be the first one to say I'm a cheapskate." Yeah, I got planned for those millions, and they're not for fucking sandwiches. You know that <laughs> that um, metal injection interview that just came out this week or last week that Gene told us about. They ask him, they say, could you live off of Black Album royalties for the rest of your life like with the, as your only income? It's a really interesting question. Yeah. And the, the dude even prefaces it by saying, I know this is personal. You, you, know, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. And Jason's pretty diplomatic about it, but he's like, man, yeah. he said, well, when, I finally, when they finally cut me in as a member instead of just paying me as a hired gun, which I think took like six months, he said, when they finally cut me in as a member, they got me hooked up with all of their like really astute business people. And got us all set up with investments. He was like, basically, he, he actually even says, my Black Album money, I give to other people. Like, I give that to other things. Wow. So, like, he he possibly could live the rest of his life financially on everything, on what, pre-Black Album? Just justice and... Yeah, I think I, mean, I think he probably took his first million or couple million, which he definitely made before the Black Album, I would, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. I would um, guess, too, yeah. From, from justice royalties, because he had a co-write on Blackened. Um, right. So, even if he, they were treating him as a hired gun... Which he would have still been cut in by them because I think he joined the band in '86. But yeah, uh, I think he took his first chunk of money and was smart with it. So you know, Black Album royalties is just icing on the cake. But I mean, I, I think him making sandwiches to take to the hotel. I mean, it proves that. I mean, yeah. Even though he just was on a record that at this point sold, I think five million or something at that point when they're on the road, and he's making sandwiches still to take back to the hotel. He's clearly a, a bit of a frugal guy, and yep. like he's to live extravagantly and stuff, and yeah. he's smart with his money. It's it's indicative of other other virtues that he has probably in that area. And it's yeah. funny because because Kirk's like they're like looking at their room service checks, and Kirk's like I had the caviar omelet or whatever. Yeah, and James goes, I didn't even order anything, and I owed forty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting. Uh, to see them getting per diem on the road too. Really interesting because you and I both know that's a important part of <laughs> of all of our of course yeah. touring. But it's but interesting it's, to it, see Metallica doing it. It's weird because I mean, th- their bank accounts probably all <laughs> at this point had a lot of money, and they could just like pull their card out and go out and you know to like, a bar. To no, a here, here's whatever. your here's your thirty dollars. <laughs> yeah, you get thirty bucks a day. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Man. Kirk's like, where's a drug dealer? What does he say? Let's go gamble or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. I've made that exact <laughs> same joke a hundred times. <laughs> nice. Uh, they do this, like, uh, they do a different meet and greet, and they have these, like, weird girls there. 
and this one like pretty attractive girl but kind of a scary vibe she's like oh yeah she, totally. she tells Lars that he's her higher power and she's like yeah but both times you came to Maine I was locked up <laughs> Yeah, she was incarcerated. <laughs> and, and then, of course, but she, of course, she's the one that wants her butt signed. Of course, yeah. And, but he kind of seems like into her. Oh, big time. Big like they, they take a photo together, and he's like, he's looking all comfortable next to her. Like, I don't care if you've been in jail, woman. Let's let's hang out. Oh, he's not worried about her her her, her rap at all. Oh, she man. goes, it's... she goes. He could spit on me, and I would still love it. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ! Gosh, that's some strong <laughs> flavor. I wonder what she's doing these days. Uh, she's probably locked up. I'd imagine she's in, in a penitentiary in Maine. <laughs> in Maine, New Jersey. Maine, New Jersey, Still of course, waiting yeah. for Lars to come spit on her, because I guess that's yeah. that's how she <laughs> exercises all those feelings <laughs> she has for Lars. <laughs> Lars goes, they show Lars going into like a bar, and he's like talking about there's a Kiss cover band playing. Yeah. He's like, you guys got to check it out. They're way better than Kiss ever was. I was like, oh. I so like watching this documentary as many times as I have. Every time that scene happens, I'm like, I wish they would show the Kiss cover band that he's talking about. Just a just like a 10 second clip of them. You hear a, noise, but there's a lot of good Kiss tribute bands, especially in in the uh, New England area. Where's Mini Kiss from? Oh, I don't know. I don't know much about that. Mini Kiss? You've heard of Mini Kiss? I know. Yeah, right? the Mini Kiss is like open for Kiss before. Oh, okay. What is it? It's short people who play as who do a Kiss tribute band. Yeah, short people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> what? I was expecting you to say little people, but I've just never heard. Oh, short sorry. People. <laughs> I did the Randy Newman thing. I said short people. I meant little people. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Small okay, people, okay. short people, little people. Um, yeah, they've played in Nashville before. I, I've I've never seen them, but uh, I've, I've looked at videos of them online. It's it's pretty awesome. I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, dude. Uh, so like we, I mentioned earlier, when they kind of jump around from like the U.S. tour and then doing stuff overseas, uh, kind of after this, they show them in Moscow doing Harvester of Sorrow. Yeah, it's so killer. That Dude, that Moscow show was something crazy like half a million people. Yeah, it's like one of the more iconic images I have of Metallica is, is like, yeah. I guess from seeing that, I've seen that video for so long yeah. of them doing that song with that many people, those like big wide shots, you know, that's like, yeah, one it's of the, insane. It's one of the go-to images I have of that band. And there's like helicopters flying around like military helicopters. And there's like all the Russian military is right in front of them as security. Hadfield talked about it a bit on, I think it was the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, just how surreal that was. Like, I mean, it's one thing if you're playing a festival and there's like 10,000 people there, that's insane. But I mean, half a million people, I mean, that's, that's mind blowing, and those images are, are are just insane to see that sea of people. You cannot see the end of it. Yeah, and I've never played to that many people. Not anything really close to that. But I have done like thirty to fifty thousand, and it's weird because after like ten thousand people, it just kind of feels the same. It's it's just, there's a strange psychological like if you really contemplated how many people you were playing to in that moment, you'd probably collapse. Right. So, right. It's like I, I get more nervous in a small club than I do sometimes at those big shows. Uh, I played a house show once for t- in front of 20 people, and that was the most nervous I'd ever been. Exactly. Just because you're not going to get away with shit. <laughs> totally. And I was playing acoustic. so Yeah. If Kirk did a house show like that, there, he'd have 10 wah pedals around the whole living room. Oh, there would be a wall of wah pedals just to, to protect him from the 20 people watching him. <laughs> he's which, all, which, he's, instead of a Pope mobile, he has like a wah pedal mobile, a wah a wah mobile, yeah, a bulletproof and Kirk, wah mobile. 
And Kirk, I know you're listening. If you ever want to do a house show at my house, you're more than welcome, man. Yeah, it's a little place called Metal Up Your Podcast HQ. That's right. When they're like trying to debut, I guess it was a big deal for them to debut Nothing Else Matters because it was the big ballad with the big orchestra. It's weird to, I mean, it's, it's weird to see them now to kind of like stress over it because it's such a staple now. But I guess it was a big deal when they were going to debut it. I mean, it you know, I mean, you, songs like uh, The Unforgiven, it's still a, a ballad, but it's heavy. There's big guitars the whole time, pretty much. You know, maybe the chorus comes down, but um, I mean, Nothing Else Matters was a straight up ballad, like really slow. Well, and it's cool. They get that double neck SG-12 string and they, they show them like rehearsing it. And that, I think, mm-hmm. and, and then Lars says, you know, we're going to do it if Kirk can learn the intro. So I guess Kirk playing that intro has just been part of the plan the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I know Hetfield recorded it, so maybe he just he thought Hetfield was going to do that part. Um, yeah, that'd be a tough one. I mean, if you think about what's on that on that track on the record, I mean, there's a whole string section, which obviously they haven't been able, been able to do live. Um, so you gotta you know strip it down, and and it's come obviously it's come you know come across live very well. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to see them kind of like panicking about it. What do you think about that scene when James is in that country bar playing like blues? I think it's awesome. He like gets up there with like this kind of cool little house cover band. Oh yeah, it's great. I, I thought that was awesome. The guy introduces him as James Hatfield. Hatfield, yeah, <laughs> like Juliana Hatfield. <laughs> but James is playing like these like kind of pentatonic blue stuff, but like putting in these like real metal-y pinch harmonics in it. It's pretty weird. <laughs> I don't think he. I don't, I don't think he could kind of avoid that because that's what he does every night. <laughs> well, that's true. If I had to guess as, as to why he was throwing those in there, or maybe he's just trying to be funny, I'm not sure. Uh, he looks like he's pretty sincerely trying to play the blues. My my, my guess would be that his his palate is uh, limited. Yeah, maybe at least back then. I mean, I know that I know that he's into a lot of other stuff besides metal, obviously country and blues and rock and roll and stuff like that. But uh, it was just cool to see him, you know, just being a you know a commoner playing with a house band at a bar. Well, it is true too. Like his bigger solos, the puppet solo and the Nothing Else Matters solo, they're really bluesy solos. That's kind of the hallmark of of his. Oh, the thing. Nothing Else Matters one, especially. Yeah, for sure. All right, and then so we're kind of in that the like second hour of the doc, and I, th- I think it gets kind of boring. Yeah, there's no, I mean, because there's no, it does. there's I mean, no real purpose to it because the, the first half is like there, you know, we're documenting the making of this record. The second one is just like cobbled together tour footage and some of it's funny and interesting. Some of it's just kind of boring. I hate to say. Well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd imagine, especially for something being two and a half hours long, uh, I don't know how much of a plan they had other than maybe, Hey, let's bring this camera crew out. They'll document the tour and what it's like. It's just, I mean, really the whole thing is just a lot of things, just clips, just put spliced together and here you go. This is the road. Here's some funny things that happened. Here's, you know, Kirk drooling over Jimi Hendrix's guitar, you know, things like that. So it's still cool to see and fun to watch, but it does get a bit boring in the second half. I do like when Jason is talking about how he was a Metallica fan and that he went to some show in Phoenix and stood in front of Cliff the whole time. He's like, I bought the, $14 $14 t-shirt and you know God how yeah how, how crazy for someone like that to have stood in front of Cliff the whole show and then you know fast forward he's in the band yeah just a few short years later yeah it's so crazy and the people the people who don't like know much about Metallica or whatever who used to slag him for wearing Metallica shirts on stage 
I always loved that because it was his tribute. It was him saying, I, I'm a fan, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think one of the, uh, you know, we talked about the second half getting a little bit boring. I think one of the highlights of the second half is, is the Freddie Mercury tribute. Yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff. I especially love the uh, I love the rehearsal footage of Hetfield going to rehearse with Queen and Tony Iommi, and you see like uh, Vivian Campbell from Def Leppard there, mm-hmm. and they show a clip of Slash and stuff. And I love how nervous he was. He looks both nervous and super stoked. Oh yeah, when he started singing, all of a sudden, like you could tell he got comfortable, and like he holds the mic like upward, kind of like <laughs> yeah, I don't know. it's kind of it's weird, really interesting. Yeah. It's a little weird, but I mean, he sounded fucking great. And obviously, they covered Stone Cold Crazy before, so what better song for him to do with Queen? I thought it was awesome. And T- Tony Iommi played guitar, which obviously Sabbath was a huge influence. And Oh, yeah. And it does seem like they're friends, because it's like when he gets there, he sees Tony. He's like, hey, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm playing on the song. Yeah, I'm playing with you. Yeah, I guess, yeah, totally. I guess they had already gotten big enough to where they were palling around with those dudes. Yeah. And it was just, man, it's just really cool to like I said to see Hetfield kind of almost feel like a kid again. Here's here's some of his heroes right in front of him. He gets to sing with them to honor Freddie Mercury for this AIDS benefit, you know. Yeah, and it's and it is interesting seeing them hang with Slash cuz true to Slash's reputation, he is super fucked up in like every scene he's in in this thing. Almost annoying annoyingly oh, like big time. I mean, like he like bumps the table, knocks a beer on Hetfield. He's like, "Thanks a lot, Dick." Yeah, I think James goes, "Look out, fuck." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know they're still buddies and stuff, but I mean, this is also in that era where where you know that Slash and those dudes are probably already over Axel. Oh yeah, you know, even when they show the clip of all the different singers and, and musicians coming in to Wembley, you see Duff briefly, and he or he looks fucked up too. You know, and then it shows Axel just like, you know, getting whisked off to his dressing room. And, you know, those dudes in Guns N' Roses were already over it. So it makes perfect sense that Slash is just completely fucked up anytime you see him. <laughs> well, there's a lot of like scenes of like him hanging with Lars. There's that pretty funny scene with Sebastian Bach where they're, you know, like joking and <laughs> Sebastian Bach's like mock interviewing them. Oh, yeah. He's like, this guy's... D- Dave Mustaine, yeah, choose like, or lose. Choose or lose. He's like, this guy's got a future ahead of him. Uh, he's talking to Slash. Slash has got that towel on his head. Yeah. But it's totally. like it's like Slash wanted to hang out with the Metallica guys more than his own band, even. And for those, oh, for sure. For those of us, who, for those of you listening, Ethan and I are massive Guns fans. So the, the cross-section, even though it, the tour was, you know, riddled with controversy, obviously James getting burned and the sort of prima donna type shit where it was supposedly a 50-50 co-headline, but they had all these things they argued about, blah, blah, blah. But that cross-section is just one of the most amazing moments of rock and roll history for me. I know for you Yeah, too. totally. Well, and it's interesting in the documentary, you kind of, you can tell, I mean, as we all know, that, that a lot of those things that didn't make it 50-50 were, were Axel. They weren't Slash or Duff. You totally, know? totally. And, and when, yeah, when, and when Slash is hanging out in the dressing room, you know, you know, you know that he, that Slash is on Team Metallica. He's like, "Fuck it, man! These are my friends." You know, and fucking James reading Axel's writer. Oh, it's and so going, good. Oh, it is so good. Little cube cheese to make him sing like this. Yeah, he goes. He goes. He needs the cubed ham to get it down his tiny little throat. <laughs> says, I know. He says, "Dom Paragon." <laughs> Tom Paragon. <there's>, yeah. <laughs> I think James is fucking hilarious, dude. Oh, he's hilarious in this documentary. It's so good. It is in a, general. He is. It is a bummer to see. Like we've seen this footage forever. Obviously, behind the music was kind of the big, the big one that showed a lot of this footage. But of him getting burned at that show, it's it's still 
disturbing to see. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what, what I really paid attention to when I rewatched this last night was I was because I've seen that footage so many times at the big you know flame ball or whatever. And and what I but last night I was listening to his his guitar part and how it like all of a sudden starts to stutter a little bit and then it's like and all of a sudden it just cuts off. Yeah. It's like he's playing it as he's getting burned for a second. Yeah, and all of a sudden like he he's kept like, oh, shit, what's happening? Yeah, it's like he kept playing for a second. But then I think what you that final little crunch you hear is all the strings melted off and snapped off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'd imagine that's what happened. Either that or like somebody ran out there and ripped it off of him or something. But, now, man. Now, here's what's interesting and cool. And I use the word interesting to basically mean not great. About this... this uh, so, so John Marshall <laughs> comes in, right, to play guitar, which is... Very, very cool. and Yeah, it was Hetfield's guitar tech at the time. It was guitar tech, who's a capable guitar player, and it's really cool that they kept the show going and all that. So they show this live version of Nothing Else Matters, and it's pretty rough, dude. Like, Kirk's, it's a little rough, Kirk's yeah. doing the intro. They're, they're in their sort of like classic Metallica, shitty, clean tone world, and James yeah. is not singing great, because I know he's not used to not having that guitar. But... That fucking solo comes up, and I thought for sure Kirk was going to do it. John Marshall does it and kills it. And re- yeah, he, he plays great. He played it he's awesome. A, he's a really good guitar player, man. And that's you know it's fun, it's interesting that's that's um as I've learned being a guitar tech and knowing a lot of friends who are guitar techs. There's a lot of cases with with huge bands. Where the guy that's tuning your guitars is better than you, yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Not not that not to say that John Marshall could write the amazing classic riffs that Hetfield has, but as far as just being you know technically a, a you know a good player, like John Marshall's great. Well, Tommy Thayer, who's been the Kiss guitar player for like twelve years now, the yeah. Kiss fans are super divided on whatever his legitimacy in the band because he because he wears Ace's makeup, but. Uh, whatever who fucking cares but I, I def I'm an originals purist guy like I love the originals sure but I think Tommy being in the band is great and I would take the gig in a heartbeat but before he joined the band he was he was just affiliated with the band he was like did tour managing stuff and he was always affiliated oh, with so the he band. so he so he worked for them he did kind of work for them he, he was in a band called black and blue that okay. Gene produced in like the late 80s so he was kind of always around but when Crazy. But when they did the reunion tour they got Ace and Peter back. It was Tommy who taught Ace how to play all of his parts. And t- Tommy's like been on record saying like, Ace quit being my hero the the week I had to teach him how to play his parts because he was so out of his mind. Like you know? play his own parts. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Wow, because that's he, crazy. Because he was such a huge fan and such a great capable capable guitar player, and he kind of loosely worked for the band and was friends with the band that they. I mean, this is years before they ever knew he would even be in the band. But yeah, 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 but he was the dude who was like, you know, they probably booked a week or two at SIR in New York and had him sit down with Ace Fraley and like having God, the show. that had to have been a really like shitty feeling. Like, uh, here's how you play your solo that you wrote on this song. I bet it was a, an exciting and intimidating prospect. But then when he got into it and saw that these guys were still kind of fucked up and still taking for granted this thing that he loved, you know, which I'm sure that John Marshall had none of that. But yeah. Um, that would have, I would have been sad like man this is one of musical heroes and he can't even remember the part he wrote totally yeah I'm sure it was Gosh, a, I'm sure what a it, bummer I'm sure it was a real trip for sure dang I wonder what it was like so John Marshall fills in the gap right stands in the gap for James 
Yeah. Kicked ass. What a fun like opportunity for him to kind of come out from side stage and actually be on stage. I wonder what it was like for him to go back, you know, like did he continue teching for them for a while or do you know much about John Marshall? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he, he still tech for them for a while, but, um, uh, it's, I'm sure it was tough. I mean, but at the same time, you know, your role, you know, that you're filling in Hetfield's yeah. arms are fucked up. He can't really play. Yeah. You know, the drill, it's not like you're joining Metallica. I mean, I'm sure he was honored enough just to be asked to do it. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I've said this, like, you know, I'm a guitar tech right now and I've said this to other guitar techs, like, Hey man, learn the parts of the guy you're teching for just in case. And I always bring up the whole thing with Hetfield. Yeah. Well, you, you never, you know, well, you did do that for a bit, right? I did do that for a bit. Yeah. I, I played utility with Kings Leon for about a year and a half to two years. Right. And I already had kind of learned all the utility parts that the guy was playing just because a, I, every day when I would check the guitar during sound check, that's what I would, I would uh, check it with as right. parts from their songs. Right. Just so the front of house guys got something good to work with. Uh, and then when it came down to, you know, the guy leaving, it was like, Hey, we want you to do it. Okay, cool. I know the parts already. Yeah. It's easy. You know, didn't have to do as much homework. I wonder if John Marshall ever had like nights, you know, he's saying his prayers and saying good night and he's like, dear God, please make James's arm well again. And then also like, dear God, please let James break his arm or something. <laughs> please let, <laughs> please let James arm please never let- heal so I can be a Metallica. Yeah, uh, please let his left hand never function the correct way again so he can't play riffs and I can do it. I hope it heals and that he's able to like hold his daughter's hand, but I hope he can never play guitar again. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> that would be crazy to think about if, if, if from then on they would have been a five-piece. Oh, man. Well, that goes back to even to that John Bush uh, hypothetical and even the uh, what what would if you know Dave Mustaine joined the fold again hypothetical yeah totally man I can't totally. see, I can't see him as a five piece man there's something there's something powerful no. about whether it's Rob or Jason or Cliff but those four dudes on a stage of course yeah and, H- and Hetfield has to have a fucking guitar in his hand come on well he's a monster guitar player of course he is yeah he's not like some of the you know some of these front men who play they're they're like you know capable guitar players they sort of get the job done that's not the case with James. I mean, James is no. the, the backbone and the heartbeat of Metallica. I know I just used I, I know I just used two illusions usually reserved for the drummer, but I think in Metallica it's <laughs> it's James. He's like the liver in the appendix, man. <laughs> the appendix. He's Why the, did I say the appendix? The appendix sometimes gets removed. Yeah, the the appendix is super expendable. Robert's the appendix. Robert's the appendix. And unfortunately, yeah. apparently Jason was too. Yeah, that's true. Or maybe Jason was more like the tonsils because he like did a lot more vocally. <laughs> oh shit, man! Our anatomy illusions here are getting real serious. Yeah. Anatomitalica. Anatom about alphabetical anatomitalica. Anatomica dot org. It's a it's a new <laughs> podcast we're do, we're doing where we yeah, compare we're, we compare each member in each stage of Metallica to the human body. It's pretty neat. It's still in the de- developmental stage right now, so you know we'll, we'll keep you posted. Yeah, twenty fourteen. The ne- <laughs> we're going to coincide it with the next Metallica studio record. So yeah. So um, all right. So well, yeah, the this, film this, the film then ends with the Wherever May Roam video, which again is live for- footage, and I even wrote in my notes is boring. Yeah, it is. It is the same kind of deal. I mean, again, when I was younger, it was great. Doesn't really hold up. Um, even last night when I was watching this whole deal in my bunk, I fast forwarded and kind of watched the funny stuff during the credits, and then we're done. Yeah, the credits for both parts are pretty entertaining and funny. Of course, yeah, they're very funny. But I mean, as a whole, I mean, like we we said, this is a little boring towards the second half of this. There's some good highlights with the Queen stuff. 
Um, and even Metallica's performance at that Queen concert, the AIDS benefit is great. Um, but overall, I mean, this whole part one and part two, I think, are essential Metallica viewing. Oh, for sure. Especially part Especially one. Especially I mean, part. I mean, part one is is as important as anything else they've released. I think. I mean, that's. I mean, you're watching. You know, they documented history being made. Yeah, for sure. And you, you know, know I, was think, I was thinking too, like when I was watching part two last night and then this morning, I was thinking like, what is it about part two that's not great? And you know, and the same things we just mentioned, like it's a little draggy, it doesn't have a lot of purpose, it jumps around, blah blah blah. But you know what? You know what? Diamond, it's missing from the first one. What's that? Fucking Bob Rock. Bob Rock should have been on the road just to just to produce their their actions every day or something. Well, I don't know. He, but. There's something there's something in the Bob, Bob Rock's vibe. Like there's something kinetic and there's like a friction in his deal that made that first uh, part of the documentary more interesting. Well, it, it was the first time someone like you know like stood up to Metallica and had, was almost like that father figure in the studio. Well, yeah, it's like well, it's him as a producer in top shape, right? But it's also yeah. like he's funny and like nerdy and he dresses stupid. <laughs> so, it's like, <laughs> so it's just like it's a hey, multifaceted man. thing that I'm attracted to in that first part. Let's go to fucking Hawaii. Let's go to fucking Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I think you have to I think you have to take part two for what it is. It's it's those four dudes being on the road, acting crazy. And I, God knows what kind of footage is out there that we haven't seen that they couldn't show. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then uh, but, and them also having no idea if people would even if it would sell well or people would like it, if anyone would even care that they put it out. So yeah, little did they know. Sure, man. Little did they know that all these years later, Ethan and Clint would be devo- devoting an entire hour of their podcast to it. Yeah, yeah, an hour and about thirteen minutes at this point. I guess actually <laughs> two hours and thirteen minutes if you count our last episode. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, this is yeah. This is the first like part one and two we've done. You know, I don't know if we're gonna do the same for like load and reload or not, but uh, we kind of had to do it with this one. Yep. All right. Well, that was fun. We did it. Yeah, we did it. That's awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks as always. Uh, you know where to find us on all the stuff. Go f- and by the way, go find us on all the stuff. I'm not gonna list. Go it find all. us on all the stuff. Yeah. But we we're doing and- actually special stuff for each of it for Twitter and Instagram. We're we're putting on like cool different content. Just go find us on all the crap and do it. Yeah, you can find us on all the crap. And uh, since this is, we didn't plan on it, but it's become Bob Rock Month, next week's episode is going to be pretty awesome. We got our Bob Rock episode with old Paul Moak. Yeah, we have a producer, a good friend Paul Moak, coming in to talk about Bob Rock. So I will be back home off the road for that episode, so we'll all be at Metal Pre Podcast HQ in the round talking about Bob Rock. And we're going to start having a lot more guests, too. Like We're sort of cracking the code on getting that to make sense. We haven't yeah. forgotten about uh, having our fans call in. We're going to do all that stuff too. Uh, yeah, and 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 a couple of you that have actually donated on Patreon, where where the the uh, tier reward is to be a guest, we haven't forgotten about you either. We're it's, we're going to make it happen. We will obviously make good on those promises. Yeah, and so what what Ethan's talking about there is we have a Patreon, and the, there's different incentives for if you want to support the show financially. It's not to make us rich or pay our bills. It's to facilitate the show, the hosting, the website, the patches, the picks, blah blah blah. Uh, one of the incentives that we have a few people that have already signed up for is that you can actually come on the show and pick the topic and hang out with yeah. us on the show for about 30 minutes. So yeah, we're going to be doing that soon in the next couple of months. It's exciting stuff, Ethan. I'm pretty excited. Hey, man, I'm pretty excited here in Jackson, Mississippi. Which that is quite an achievement because there's not a lot to be excited about there. I've been there, unfortunately, many times. Which, you know, what? Yeah. that's where our friend Paul Moke is from. 
That's true. I'm going to go find his family. <laughs> and I'm going to go go get some get some insight on Paul that I don't know about before Ooh. we have him on our podcast. Or at least just get a nice non-on-the-road meal. Totally. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to stare out my hotel room window at this beautiful outlet mall that's right below me. Mm, sounds like you're somewhere in America. I'm in America. Well, <laughs> thank you to all of you who listen. We really appreciate all of you. Send us an email at metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com about year and a half in life or about whatever the fuck you want, as long as it's related yep. to Metallica. Exactly. And we'll see you All right, next thanks week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Adios. Peace. <laughs>